friend, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. And I am today with a woman who I think trumps my sass. No doubt, this is Dr. Lynette Charity. She will tell you her whole amazing story. But all I got to say is I am so thankful that I got connected with her through Dr. Michelle Mug Riley and the Physicians Helping Physicians crew. So without further ado, I'm not going to give away any of the secrets or anything that happens in the conversation. You just need to listen to the whole damn thing. Let's get into it right now and then stick around afterwards for my kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lynette Charity. Girl, I'm so excited to have you on here today. I'm excited to be here, Erin. How are you today? <sighs> I'm good. I got a little bit of a sunburn, so you know I'm kicking the summer off right. I got my sunscreen on, but I got a little bit, I got a little glow going on today. So that's always a good feeling for me. We met recently through some pre-planning with Dr. Michelle Mug-Riley and Physicians Helping Physicians. We connected on a spiritual level. We've talked since then, and now I got you on the podcast. So tell all these other wonderful people on Podcasting World all about yourself. Well, let me start out by saying that I don't need to get any more sun. I am pretty tanned naturally. So you get my drift. That's that said and done. But as you introduce me, I'm Dr. Lynette Charity. I am a board-certified anesthesiologist. I just retired last year, pre-COVID, after 41 years of practicing anesthesia. But before that, I was having some issues with healthcare and my role in healthcare. And my true story began in 2012 when I was fired from a hospital employee position. Having never done that before in, in all, almost 30 years before that, I was 60 years old. Um, I was tired of traveling. I was doing a lot of locums work because I had to reinvent myself. As medicine evolved starting in 2000, I had to reinvent myself because I could not deal with some of the changes that had come about. So what I ended up doing was uh, I moved out of the hospital setting. I ended up doing surgery, ambulatory work, and I did locums work. But when I turned 60, I was tired. I was very tired of traveling. I knew something was wrong when I got up one night in the middle. I got up in the middle of the night and I went to go to the bathroom and I almost went to the bathroom in the closet in the hotel that I was in because I didn't know where I was. I got disoriented and I said, you know, I need to stop this. I need to stop this. So what can I do? So I acquiesced and I went back into, I went back into a hospital and I got hired as a hospital employee anesthesiologist. As I said, I was 60 years old at the time and a lot of things had changed. You know, EMRs, bureaucracy, no autonomy, you know, and I had a chief of a department that was half my age telling me what to do. And I just kind of lost it one day. I think that was my version of burnout. 
where I called him an idiot because he was at the time. And um, I was fired. I was fired uh, almost on the spot for undermining his authority, which was like, who knew I could, that could happen. They called a security guard. She took me to my locker. She watched me empty my locker, making sure I didn't steal anything. And I did have a bunch of scrubs in there that I had planned to take home to use as pajamas, but of course I couldn't. She, I did what we call the perp walk. I walked out of the hospital, went down the elevator. As I went out the front door, they deactivated my badge and I was no longer invited to go to the lounge anymore using my badge or to come into the hospital as a physician. Uh, I could come in as a patient. And at that moment, it was, I'm ready to quit. I'm, I'm done with medicine, done, done, done. It wasn't should I stay or should I do, go. It was how, how do I now at the age of 60 transition to something else? Because you see, medicine was all I ever, being a physician was all I ever wanted to be. I grew up in the segregated South. I was one of the first to integrate a white high school. People told me that I couldn't become a doctor and I became a doctor. And now I was questioning whether I should stay a doctor. And I felt like I was almost betraying you know, my profession by just saying I was gonna quit. So the first thing I did was uh, I walked across the street to uh, a surgical center that was there freestanding, not affiliated with the hospital and said, hey, guys, I'm available. I have an opening. You need any, anybody here to, to help you? And they said, oh, sure, Dr. Charity. Yeah, we can use you. And so I got a job, you know, and it was basically to pay the bills. But I knew that I needed to find a new calling. And the most interesting thing was the first thing that popped into my head when I was thinking about it was I decided I wanted to be a stand-up comic. And that was strong inside of me that I wanted to be a stand-up comic. So I pursued that. I took some comedy classes. I took some acting classes. And, but I said, now maybe this is not going to provide me with everything that I need. So the following year, after having done it for a while, not getting paid, just doing open mics, but feeling really, really good even though I had to take a nap before I would go because I always went on at about 11 o'clock at night after three glasses of wine and my five-minute set. So I went to Seek. I went to Seek in 2013, and I went to everybody there and said, they said, oh, you should go into farm. You should do this. You should do that. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't see myself in any of those positions. So I talked to some of the coaches there and a lot of them said, you know, stand-up comedy, you're not, you know, you can't make a living out of that. You're not going to get paid any money. I said, but it's really something I want to do. I ended up finding a coach that um, helped me with that. And her name was Heather Fork. And she did the same thing. She said, well, you know, Lynette, uh, you're not going to make any money at that. But if that's something you really want to do, maybe you could do it by speaking and being funny. And my suggestion is that you join an organization called Toastmasters. And I thought to myself, 
how is learning how to toast going to help me be a better comedian or even a speaker? And she goes, no, 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 it's not like that. Go read up on it. You, you You really like it. And I do what I'm told, you know, and I can tell everyone out there, you get a good coach, do what they tell you to do. Don't question it. Give it a shot. So I went out and I didn't join just one Toastmasters club. I joined two because that's the kind of person I am. That's right. Overachievers. I'm an overachiever physician. That's our whole audience out there. Yeah, we're all overachievers. And, And it was just amazing. I joined Toastmasters and I fell in love with it. I truly fell in love with speaking and adding humor to my speeches. And lo and behold, I'm a very competitive person like a lot of your audience out there too. They said, did you know we have speech contests? And I go, you do? And they go, yeah, you have a five to seven minute speech. We judge you on it and you might be able to win. Well, I started competing and I started winning and I went all the way to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia and won a trophy there. And then I decided it was time for me to launch my speaking business. So in a nutshell, that is that transitioned me into speaking. And I wanted to speak anywhere, everywhere. And again, anyone who wanted me to speak, I was willing to speak, even though I wasn't getting paid at the time, because this was my new passion. This was something that I felt comfortable doing. And the one thing that was good about it was that I was able to tell my stories. I love storytelling. I have even, I don't know if you know about the moth, but I even have done the moth and I've won on the moth too, because storytelling People think of speaking as lecturing, and I've done grand rounds. I'm sure that a lot of your audience have done that. If they're in a teaching environment, they've had to give lectures to their students and all of that. That's one aspect of speaking, but the art of speaking is something that you have to learn, and it is the art of storytelling, too. You know, you've been in lectures where you, a person has stood up there and droned on about some boring slides and you wanted to poke your eyes out with a pencil. You can always tell a person who can not only give you the statistics, tell you what you need to know, but in a way that really just invites the senses, pulls you into the story. If they relate it to something that's happened to them, just as I've told you my story, it was a story. I didn't say, I was born, I did this, I did this, I did this. That right there is narration. What you really want to do is dialogue with people. Tell people your story. And then they can identify with it. They can pick it apart and say, oh, my goodness, that resonates with me or that resonates with me. And you have to be transparent and authentic. You know, you you can't fake it. You just can't fake it. You have to be out there and let people know. So as you know, uh, Aaron, uh, or maybe I didn't tell you, what I speak on is physician burnout, suicide, and depression. And the way I speak about that is I tell people, number one, my struggle with burnout, that story. 
my lifelong struggle with depression and not getting it treated because as you know, there is that stigma about us. We have to check that little black box. And if we do that, there's a potential for you not being hired or potentially being fired. And my story of my suicide attempt. So I share all of that in my stories because I want, especially women, we, we, we are caregivers, we're lovers, we're mothers, we, have, we wear so many hats, but we also want to be physicians. And when you throw all of that together, sometimes what comes out the other end is frustration, is an inability to make it all work. And sometimes the voices come and attack you in the middle of the night and tell you, you're not a good mother, you're not a good doctor, you should just die. And you need to be able to deal with that. And the best way is, as I tell people is, it's time for us to put our oxygen mask on first. We have to self-care before we can take care of others. I've talked a lot now. That's good, though. I I don't want to stop you because I love it so much. And I think it's so important to see the step-by-step way to where you got in your journey. It's not like you just quit anesthesia and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a speech coach. That's humorous. Like, no, you had to go through the steps and look at the hard work and try things and be like, oh, nope, that didn't quite get it. So where are we going to pivot? Because it's all feedback. It's not failure. And I just so appreciate you sharing your story. And we'll we'll wrap it up at the end and tell people about what you're doing now. But I really want to jump into your topic, which is talking about the stigma of mental health, healthcare for physicians. And you alluded to this. There, there's this underlying nasty, toxic thread that says we take care of everybody else, but we don't talk about our junk. When it's a, when you're a doctor, that is correct. We 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 are seen as perfect, and sometimes we fall into that whole view of ourselves too by thinking that we are and and perfect people, superheroes or even heroes, don't have dirt. They don't have they don't have any struggles. We're just happy go lucky all the time, and we we try to portray that, but. The underlying current always is, is that when we leave the hospital or when we leave wherever we are, things start jumping into our head. Now, you probably are aware, and I'm sure your audience is aware, that back in April, we had a physician suicide in New York, you know, Lorna Breen. Her story, as I reviewed it and looked it over and over again, showed me the struggles that we as women have, where you're on the front lines, you're doing all of this, you're trying to take care of everyone else. She saw carnage that no one should have to experience. And she did not know how to process it. And who was she to go to to process it? And what happened? She even told some people that she was sad, that it was just frustrating. People were dying right in front of her. But was there anyone out there to say, let's talk, let's let, you know, express yourself, tell me more about this? Or maybe she didn't feel comfortable being able to do that. So she leaves and she got COVID herself. She leaves, she goes off and she kills herself. And so when I looked at that, I kept saying, what is it about us 
we, whatever the, the word is, uh, as physicians that make it so difficult for us to seek help. And I did a TED talk uh, a couple of years ago, and it was called Heal the Healers. And it was my journey of getting psychiatric help because I wanted everyone to know that if, if you need it, you have to get it. And I don't care if you use an assumed name, if you go to another state, whatever you need to do, if you need to do it, you have to do it. Because the alternative is that you might find yourself one night on a cold, dank night, standing on the top of a bridge, ready to jump. And I don't want that to happen to anyone because this job is not worth it. This career is not worth it. It's just not worth it. And you need to do something that brings you joy. If this job, because at one time, yes, it may have been a career, but as we know, as times have changed, I truly feel that our dream career has just become a day job. We go through it because we've got debt, we've got you know a mortgage, we've got family, and we don't want anyone to perceive that we have failed at what we have worked so hard to become. But I don't see it as failure. I, I see it as moving out of your way and going on to something else. I managed to stay in it for over 40 years. Sometimes I wonder how I did that. But I think that because of the nature of what's going on right now over the last 10 years or so, maybe 20 years, is that people coming into this environment now, it burns you out a lot quicker than when I started. When I started, it was still, it was still magical. I'll just say it that way. Medicine for me was magical. I was so excited to be a physician. By the time of that time when I was 60, it changed. It, everything had changed. I had people in the C-suite telling me what to do. I had uh, patients telling me that, you know, they didn't want me to be their doctor. I, I just had so many things coming about that I just said, I can't do this anymore. I need to find something different to do. And I need to take care of my own mental health. Because if I don't, I am going to die. Yeah. And you know, this story is not an uncommon one. I have to tell you with the women and even men that come to me for coaching, this is not an unusual story. And I want anyone who's sitting there shaking their head and being like, yeah, me too, that you are not alone in this, that, that we are on hard times and are, like you said, what we went in, our passion, our, our desire of the heart has taken such a radical left turn and gone so far down in the other direction that it's no wonder that there's people even every day being like, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Or contemplating, how do I get out of this? And feeling so desperate that the only way out is through physical death. So I just want to put that out there to our listeners as well as you are not alone in this. So Dr. Charity, tell us a little bit more about about what was what was I always called the two by four moment when you get smacked upside the head with the two by four and it's like okay I got to change or we can't do this anymore. What was your two by four moment when you were like, all right, I'm going against the stigma. I'm getting help. Well, 
when I was standing on that bridge, it, you know, it's amazing. By the, by the, I was in my 40s when this happened. I was married. I had two kids. I had a, a reasonably good practice. But one thing that happens with people, I've suffered with depression all of my life. Uh, as I said, I grew up in the segregated South. I had a dysfunctional family life. When I was six years old, my two-year-old sister was hit by a car and killed right in front of me. And back then, you know, grief amongst children was not looked at. We were seen and not heard. I was, we, my brothers and I were just sent off to a room, but everybody tried to comfort the adults. No one ever comforted us. I never truly understood what death was and why my sister didn't show up anymore. And the typical thing that happens with a lot of uh, kids that, that get that kind of trauma is that they start to act out. They start to get into trouble. And for me, what saved me was there was a TV show uh, back then, and it was called Ben Casey. And Ben Casey was a doctor. And I was nine years old at the time, and I still remember sitting there watching that first episode. And it was almost like Ben Casey was speaking to me because I had no direction. I didn't know really what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Uh, and it, it was like he said, you should be a doctor. And I, I tell people when I do my stand-up, I, I say things like, you know, it's not that I wanted to be a white male, but I wanted to be a physician. I truly, truly wanted to be a physician. And from the age of nine on, that was my purpose. And, and I was, you know, I was really, I had blinders on to anything else. I had blinders on to people telling me, you're a colored girl from the segregated South. You're never going to get into college. You're never, because I, I was the first to go to college in my family. But as time went on, I have the saying that I say, be too good for it to matter. I just had to prove to people that I could do the work. I did the work and I became a physician. But all through that period of time, I, I had imposter syndrome in, in medical school because the first day of medical school, I walk in and one of my white male uh, classmates kind of pushed me up against the wall and said, you know, you're only here because of affirmative action. They got a twofer with you, black and female. And it was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Is that the only reason why I'm here? Not that I scored very highly on the MCATs, not that I was an honor student in college. I'm only here because I satisfied a quota. And it bothered me to the point where my depression did come back and, um, not only I studied a lot, I, you know, I isolated myself. I, I, I became a loner and uh, I started losing weight and I collapsed one day in histology class. And when I was admitted to the hospital, I weighed 80 pounds. And back then, you know, they didn't know, they, they ran all the gamma to tests, but I can tell you right now, obviously for me, it was from my depression because I didn't eat a lot. I was, I, the point is that, I, I went through a, a depression there and I almost uh, quit medical school then and there. But fortunately for me, and I tell all of you out there, one of the things I always say is find your peeps because I, got, I had a mentor back then and my father died at the same time. So I had to go back to his funeral and I wasn't going to return. 
my mentor back then called up my mother and said, you send Lynette back to us. We will take care of her. And between her and my good classmates, I graduated from medical school and went on to who I am today. But the important thing is that depression, and some of us come with that baggage right off the bat. It is not, it's always assumed that these are some things that happened to us in medical school or in, in our training. But we, we have mental illness. You know, I've had it all my life. But I, didn't, I, never got it, I never got treated for it until that moment, that defining moment, now at age 47, I think I was at the time, where I'm, I, I lost control yet again. But this time, the voices got me. And it's amazing to me how not being a, I did, I did a psych rotation, but not understanding truly what it's all about. The, the voices are compelling. They are so, they are convincing. They told me that I was not a good doctor. I was not a good mother. I should just die. And I went, okay, all right. Because I was miserable. I had been having fluctuations of my depression all through my life you know, between postpartum depression with my kids, or sometimes a patient would say something to me that would just send me in a downward spiral. And I had to fight very hard to come out of the darkness on no medication, not being treated. But that scared me because when I was standing there and I was contemplating, now, if I jump out far enough, hopefully I wasn't a very good swimmer, I'll just drown but maybe I could hit my head on the rocks and get knocked out. I don't want to be a vegetable. I got to be dead. And I'm going through all of these things in my head about how I was going to kill myself. And then all of a sudden, my mother of all people popped into my head along with the, all the other voices. And all she said was, call your mama. I'm from the South. Call your mama. And it brought me back. I was in kind of a fugue state, I'll call it, but it brought me back to some sense of reality. And I went, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. If I kill myself right now before I call my mother, she's gonna kill me. Because that's the kind of relationship I I had with my mother. And so I got down off that bridge. And fortunately, my husband, who had been looking for me, found me. And I said, I, I've got to do something. I can't I can't do this. I can't I can't do this anymore. This this is painful, it's hurting, I'm hurting. I need to do something. So I went into a treatment at that point in time. And I, I must tell all the, all the people out there, I disclosed nothing. I disclosed nothing. I got treated. I went on medication. But I did not check the boxes because I was afraid. And in fact, I didn't check the boxes. And it bothered me so much that I had lied that... Once I got better, I, took, I stopped seeing a psychiatrist and I stopped taking my medication. And of course, then the cycles again started. But it scared me so much that I would be found out and that I would lose everything that I had worked so hard for that I just said, all right, I've done this before. That was a bad event. You know, I'm going to work on this. And, I, you know, now I'm back on medication because I really don't give a you know what? I, I, I don't care because you can say it. You don't give a fuck. Yeah. Or shit or anything. Yes. 
I don't because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a woman of a certain age now. And I just said, I, I, and I actually, I did this about three years ago when I had another bad episode of depression. And I just said, I can't, I can't continue to do this. This is not, not who I am. I, and you know, comedy has been great therapy for me too, because getting people to laugh, I tell people it's really hard for you to be sad if you're rolling around on the floor laughing your ass off. You know, mm-hmm. it truly, truly is. And so I think that's why I picked comedy, uh, because it's a mood elevator. And I have gone to do some of my sets feeling pretty down for whatever reason. And let me tell you, I get on that stage and all I need is just somebody to laugh at one joke. And it's like a shot in the arm. It's like my Prozac. <laughs> and I feel better. I feel better. And when people come up to me and said, I had a, this is an interesting story. So I do a stand-up set and I'm working. A few days later, I go back to work. Patient comes into the room. I said, hi, I'm Dr. Charity. I'm your anesthesiologist. The guy sits bolt upright on the table. He goes, I know who you are. And I go, oh, my goodness, did I do something? Is he going to sue me? Whatever. He goes, you were at the comedy club the other night, weren't you? And I go, yes, I was. He goes, you're a real doctor? I go, yes, I am. (laughs) He says, you know, you're funny. I go, well, thank you. He says, are you as good of an anesthesiologist as, as you are a comic? I go, well, We'll find out. And with that, I gave him some propofol and off to sleep he went. When he woke up, he told everybody in the place about how wonderful I was and I was also a good comic. Now, you have to understand that that was so elevating for me. I was so, and, and people came around and said, hey, we heard from that patient about your, you have to do a, a, a comedy routine for us sometime. So sometimes I would just do stuff in the doctor's lounge. And, and just tell jokes. And I found my calling. I found my new calling mm-hmm. with what I do. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so to our listeners, what advice would you give them? It's time, as I said before, for you to put your oxygen mask on first. You know about that. On We're not flying right now, but you can't help anyone until you help yourself. And when I say put your oxygen mask on First, you need to get out of your way and you need to try to reevaluate where you are in your life. And if medicine is no longer bringing you the joy that it once was, start thinking about something else. There is no harm, no foul in finding joy in what you do in your life. I don't care if you've been in medicine five years or 50 years. The most important thing is that for you to live your life, you have to be happy. And if every time you get up in the morning, you dread putting on your doctor persona and going to work, something has to change. Amen. Take me to church. Yes, that's exactly right. So all you out there. If you have had a similar experience, go visit drcharityspeaks.com and learn more about Dr. Charity here. If you are interested in reinventing yourself and you think maybe speaking, maybe comedy, maybe something, 
Dr. Charity, tell them what you're doing with this this speaking coach stuff now. Well, you know, I was I am a keynote speaker. I have now spoken out of the country. I've spoken a lot of places and I've gotten paid for it. Thank you very much. Uh, a fair amount of money. But COVID obviously shut me down. Uh, we're not doing any of that right now. So I am reinventing myself yet again. I've learned a lot in the last eight years about becoming a speaker. And I would like to impart my wisdom upon any of you who might be interested. So I am going to start doing some coaching if anyone is interested in becoming a speaker. And it, you know, just becoming a comfortable speaker. A lot of times people will say that besides uh, uh, death, one of the greatest fears in life is getting up in front of people and speaking. It really can be, but I can tell you right now that all of you have stories that we need to hear, especially now. And come to me. Let's work on it. Let's figure it out. Let's find your message because all messages is mess with age and you can share it. And maybe you can help more people to transition. Like Absolutely. I have. Absolutely. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Dr. Lynette Charity, she's amazing. She's my new BFF. I think she's just a total badass, and I'm just so appreciative for you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Erin. Thank you again. Wasn't that a conversation? Oh, I could just sit and listen to Dr. Charity tell me stories all day long. I I love that's what she's decided to do because she's so good at it. So if you have a story that you need to speak, if you have something that you need to do in your heart, maybe it is stand-up comedy, or maybe it's become an internationally known TED Talk speaker, I want to encourage you in this kick of encouragement reinvent yourself. Give yourself permission to continue to reinvent yourself if you've done it once, twice, a dozen times. You have that desire within you for a reason. I don't believe that it's just squandered. I don't believe that it's just silly. I think it's really, really there because you're supposed to act on it. So try it out. Give yourself the space. Give yourself the time. Give yourself some energy to reinvent yourself. If you're having trouble doing this, come on, come on, get a coaching with me. I have so many different ways to do that. You can do that one-on-one. -on -one. You can do it through my course, Burnt Out to Badass in the group format. You can do it by purchasing my book that's now not only just a Kindle book, but a real life on the shelves, I can sign it in person book. There's no excuses. Get out there, get going reinvent yourself. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse.